0: Welcome to the Monday Minute of the Huntback Country podcast. These are shorter, more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. It's exactly what we're going to do this morning. Steve, how's it going, man? Good. Yeah, really good.
1: Another fun weekend, obviously Easter weekend and the kids did a couple different egg hunts. Took them to a uh, PBR event, which was first time they've ever kind of been exposed to that rodeo type atmosphere. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, had a blast doing that. There's (laughs) my daughter, as you're well aware, Mark. Is uh, she's six and just loves to dance. And every time we go to some event um she uh, it's almost guaranteed she gets up on the jumbotron screen right because like whenever they're panning around the crowd getting people that are dancing she's just always busting a move she we're like she's literally like five for five at like t- times we've been to events like that yeah it's, uh, it's pretty awesome
0: that's cool i love it yeah it's uh man just exciting to see some signs of spring and get outside and making me uh anxious to oh, time outdoors for sure yeah, all the all the phone memories are popping up of, you know, this relative
1: this time last last couple of years and some of the bear hunts getting out there backpacking. Yep. Oof, Can't wait. Definitely. Yeah. It's obviously, as busy as we've been, it's uh, going to be really nice to get up in the mountains and, um, yeah, just get some of that uh, mountain
0: therapy. For sure. Well, as we said, we are going to answer some listener questions today. We have a handful of them. We're just going to dive right into it. This first one came through via speak pipe, which we will play now. Hi guys, this is Randy up in Northern BC, Canada, currently running my K3 6400 with a dry bag inside and looking at the new K4 5000 bag and K4 5000 frame. Just wondering if you're possibly going to offer a external dry bag that fits between the bag and the frame to increase capacity.
2: And I'm thinking I could scale down to a 5000 with that new setup keep up the good work. Thanks.
0: All right. Thanks Randy for leaving that question. That's a good one Steve to talk about. So let's tackle two things. One is, are we going to make a dedicated dry bag for that load shelf area? And then secondary to that, what are some of the pros and cons to think through when taking that type of approach to extend gear capacity?
1: Yeah. uh, As far as the product itself, it's definitely something I've kind of thought about and looked at, you know, doing something ultra light that's that it would be that kind of rectangular cube shape to to fit there very very easily. Not something that's happened anytime soon. It'd be 2024 if I did it. We'll we'll just look um just kind of they'll just play that one by ear. But as a general rule, you know, we always encourage people to get the bag size for the type of hunts that they're doing. And if this guy, his scenario is I do, you know, once a year I go on a hunt where I need that capacity then, but the other, you know, 20 hunts he does that year, he just needs that 5,000. Then that's, you know, great. I have have no problem doing that at all, especially with something like food. Cause as you, you know, obviously it's a consumable item as your the duration of your hunt goes on, you're eventually going to get completely rid of that. And definitely when you're talking more about like hiking in and setting up a base camp, then I have no problem with that at all for the, you know, just getting in there, setting up camp, and then you leave. You know the vast majority of your food there at camp. Where I don't want people, you know, going to this. I think it's just a lot to deal with if you're hunting with camp on your back all day long, and for the f- you know first five days of the hunt, you needed to keep food in that separate from your main bag. Then it's just you know, uh, I'd rather you just get the bigger bag. So definitely, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I-, I just buy the bag for what you're doing and. You know, we've, the 7,200, in my opinion, just like the 6,400 was, there should be very few people, and it, that, that this does reflect in our sales. Right now, it's less than 10% of the total packs we're selling are 7,200s. There, there's very few people who actually need that capacity, and I just encourage people to buy the bag for what they're doing because it everything just works better when you have the right appropriately sized bag. If you've got a, a monster bag and you're just day hunting, you know, it's just a lot, it's just more stuff to manage. And while it's a little small thing, all those little small things add up to being, you know, inconveniences
0: over the course of a hunt. Yeah. I like what you said too. And just to clarify, it tease this point out because I think it gets overlooked, but there's a difference between I'm short on space. I'm considering or need to use, um, you know, the meat shelf, the load shelf between the bag and the frame to extend gear capacity there's a difference in particular in doing that for say a backcountry elk hunt and then you're setting up a base camp versus an extended sheep hunt where you will be hunting um, potentially with camp on your back every day and it's not just this one trip in with extra gear storage in the load shelf and then I'm dropping that versus day after day after day putting on miles and continuing to use the load shelf so That is one important thing to keep in mind um, is just how not only do I need this, but for what duration of the hunt do I need this and what is the hunt logistics? Am I going to keep covering ground like this or am I just like I just need to get four, six, eight miles, whatever in and then I'm going to be dropping a lot of this extra and won't need um, that extra capacity. So that's a that's a good point for guys to think through if they haven't already. Mm -hmm. people
1: try to get creative to save weight and they're thinking like oh i'll get the smaller bag and then i'll just run this dry bag and then if you actually like run the you know you're probably packing an extra five six seven ounces by doing that setup versus just getting the 7200 that's definitely uh, something i think people run into a lot
0: yeah i mean a 7200 is coming in at i think two to three ounces heavier than a 5000 so right you'd be hard to hard to find anything yeah you (laughs) have to
1: put your food in a trash bag and even that's going to weigh an ounce yeah 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 exactly
0: so you mentioned maybe potentially some sort of specific specific load shelf or sorry load cell for the load shelf in the future what if a guy wants to do this type of approach right now or this fall what would you recommend that he uses since we don't have a dedicated, like, dry bag or load cell for that.
1: Yeah, I don't... To be honest with you, I mean, there's so many different dry bag companies on the market. Sea to Summit has a pile of different styles and, and different weights. They're, they're the ones I've used quite a few... Uh, quite a bit in the past. I would... I, I don't know. how I would just look around. I'd be looking more for the size of it than necessarily the... um than like capacity right like like Mm -hmm. more of that rectangular kind of cube shape that's a it's kind of in the back of my mind of some type of dry bag that yeah just really is molded to the size of the and like the shape of the frame back there right so it's not hanging out on the sides it just kind of becomes part of the system we'll see yeah
0: yeah that's what i would say um when you're looking at that is keep in mind with with our frame with our pack design is all very intentionally it's you're going to want something that's fairly narrow and then adds you know some length or has some heights to it so something as you said steve that isn't going to be super wide or extend out the sides a great deal but is going to be more shaped like the frame so think a bit more narrow and a bit taller um, yeah would be a great way to go yeah if you just had a you know one that's a eight
1: or 12 inch circle it's just a tube you know if you're not careful with how you put your food in there it's all just going to end up in the bottom and then you're gonna it's just gonna be kind of cumbersome to pack and you know you really you almost have to treat it like boned out meat on the frame right like lay it lay it on the frame and kind of spread it out and pack it down so it's like as tight against the frame as you could and then you would put the bag on and to me it's the same logic as why you buy the bag size that's you know, between a 36.5 and 7,200, right? Like if you aren't filling up the total capacity of it, the the items that you're putting into it are just going to tend to like fall down into the bottom of the bag. and So you're, you know, you've got the, well, you only need the capacity of a 36, but you're putting it all in a 7,200. You have to be a lot more diligent about how you're packing that. You can't just throw everything in and go. It's all just going to want to slide and sag down to the bottom.
0: Awesome. Well, let's move on to this next question that came through um, about puffy jackets. We can talk a little bit in generality, but this question was specific to something that you can speak of as well, Steve.
2: This is Ben from the Roseburg, Oregon. I had a question about puffy jackets. I know that Steve has used some of Canis Hunting Gear's Clothing, and I was looking at the Alps down jacket, wondering if he had any experience with that. What you guys' thoughts were on that jacket um, specifically, or maybe generally? I am curious about um, your experience with puffy jackets that are more durable, have a more durable face fabric. Most of them are pretty light on the face fabric, and I've been looking for one that's a little heavier insulated but also just a more durable face fabric. I know there are a few out there. I know um, I have a Kuyu one that's pretty light. They're really light uh, down jacket, the ultra down. And then uh, I have a Arc'teryx that's, I think, a 10D fabric. And they're both about in that range. I mean, I'm looking for something like in the 30D, uh, 30 denier face fabric. I think um, they don't list it. Canis doesn't list their face fabric, but they use Cordura, which, generally lends itself to a more durable face fabric. So I didn't know if you had any experience with that, or if you had any suggestions for a more durable one, kind of more as an outer layer than, um, you know, something you could wear and you didn't have to worry about touching brush. Uh, Cause most of those, I'm just, I'm afraid to even touch brush brush because the uh, those down jackets are not only um, less durable, they're expensive, especially the good ones. So um, also kind of a side question I've kind of gotten into more solid colors and um camo's cool, but I like solid colors and a lot of solid colors in hunting brands or earth tones. And I was wondering your thoughts on, you know, brown colors and maybe even black colors that could possibly be mistaken for a bear or elk, um, you know, colors that, are similar to animal colors that are often hunted. It always has made me nervous. Uh, Canis just came out with a brown color that looks pretty cool. And uh, I, it kind of makes me nervous to buy it um, from that stamp, from a safety standpoint. So I was curious on your thoughts on that. Gray usually doesn't bother me. Green, of course, uh, doesn't bother me, but brown and black have always, I've I've kind of stayed away from. So um, I've always appreciated your guys' take on gear and, generally agree and so was really curious on your opinions thank you
0: all right steve let's tackle colors first and then come back to uh down jackets in general and you can talk about the canis jacket as well because i know you have some experience with it but um yeah not to relate everything to k4 but on that color topic i'm definitely getting this question a little bit since we have like coyote tan or coyote brown um in the new packs and some guys are I don't want to say concerned, but like expressing some concern of like, man, am I going to look like an elk and yada, yada, yada. So, um, of course, personal preference, personal comfort, confidence, et cetera, is what's most primary. But any thoughts on that? Not about the packs in particular, but just on certain colors that you either really like or avoid. As far
1: as colors that I like, I mean, he's the earth tones, the. Ranger green is a, just a fantastic color that the, in the packs we you um, know in the color of the packs. The mud, so the Prana stretch Zion pants that I've worn forever. That their color is called mud. So just a light, kind of a dark tan, light brown. To me, that's been a fantastic color as far as just getting out there in the woods and blending in. I stay away from anything dark, right? So the dark browns, certainly black. I think those are you know, certainly going to stand out more to an animal. And that's more just from, you know, me seeing another hunter across the ridge and they like back in the days when like everyone was wearing mossy oak breakup that, you know, you just turned into a black blob at hundred yards. Uh, so I try to avoid the darker colors for sure, but you know, anything light, I have no problem with. They all function just well. And I've said it many times on the podcast. I think camo's pretty, pretty, pretty low on the list of, things that actually matter as far as what ends up helping you kill an animal, right? It's, it's number 999 out of a thousand. (laughs) Uh, the, um, as far as looking like an elk or a deer, it's just something I've never thought about. I I don't hunt very congested areas though. I could see, you know, if you're rifle hunting and spots where there's, two hunters per ridge just everywhere you know I, I can think of unit 39 deer here in idaho you know, opening day there's just going to be trucks and hunters absolutely everywhere yeah i mean maybe at that point i throw something orange on me i guess i, I don't know i just normally i'm backpacking and i'm away from people and i'm just not at all concerned
0: about it yeah i think it's a great point on like just density of where you're hunting how many people are you used to seeing and and what does that do for you so that's a good point I
1: think if people get if there's accidental, you know, someone getting shot during hunting, it's because it's their hunting partner and they, you know, didn't have their safety on or something like that. I think the scenario where someone points a gun and just shoots wildly into the brush because they saw something brown, yeah, that's that's probably uh, extremely unlikely, right? Like you got a way better chance of winning the lottery or something. Yeah,
0: I can I can definitely. All that said, some of our listeners out east, like who are hunting thicker woods and like higher densities, and people shooting it, moving brown things, hoping it's a deer. Definitely <laughs> a different story than like hunting Idaho as well. So take context yeah, yeah. in mind. All
1: right. Yeah, that's all for my west, my western yeah. states Idaho hunting experience. Yeah,
0: yeah, and like like proven point. I mean, Idaho is one of the states where it's not even required to wear blaze orange, whereas. Uh, to contrast that with something like out East in any firearm season if they even have them because some states don't, blaze uh, orange is, you know, definitely something you both want but are also uh, required to have. So um, I think your, um, you know, your background in Idaho um, is just totally different in some instances than what other guys are used to for sure. Mm. How about that? Canis jacket, man. I know it's something that you have gotten to use. Talk a bit about that specifically, and then we can maybe talk about durability and face fabrics on down pieces a little bit in general. I just put that puffy
1: on the other day because my daughter wanted to go jump on the trampoline, and it was 40 degrees. It was the first jacket in the closet that I grabbed. Uh, it's fantastic. I really, really like it. The He is 100% right when he's talking about durability. It's So it's a 16-ounce stand jacket. I think it has... It's like somewhere between five and six ounces of fill inside of it. And for anyone, if you want to get nerdy and techie on specs, if you really just look at the, you can get a really good idea of the warmth of a jacket when the fill weight is listed And the same, same goes for sleeping bags, same goes for um, quilts and all that stuff, right? Anything there's down, if they list the fill weight, so they're going to say, usually they do it in grams. Sometimes they convert it to ounces just to convert it to, from grams, two ounces, you divide by 28. Um, but uh, yeah, you can get a really good idea of, you know, like say he's got this Arcteryx puffy and they're going to say it's got, you know, five ounces of fill weight. Uh, and then this, but it weighs 12 ounces. And this Canis Gear got has five ounces of fill weight, but it weighs 16 ounces. Well, then that four ounce difference, you can just go, okay, well, that's fat. That's face fabric. That's construction. There's some things in there, but warmth wise, those are going to be very similar right that the face fabric could breathe a little more or less which would make it you know a little different but at the end of the day the the downfill is the downfill so if you're you know i, I said i i kind of dove into all this when i was shopping quilts and looking between like enlightened equipment and catabatic gear and you could just compare their fill weights because even some of them will you know they may be different temperature rating from the company but it just actually dive into how much down is inside the quilt. And that's going to give you a really good idea of comparing warmth to warmth. The Canis gear, so it's like I said, it's three to four ounces heavier than a comparable jacket that use lightweight materials, but it, he's 100% right. They use a, it's a nylon 6.6, which is um, a very, it's, it's the way the yarn is constructed before it's ever weaved into the fabric. It's a very tough, fabric or tough yarn and then it has a double rip stop on it if i remember right and yeah it's tough I, I i would say i'm sure it's it's still a lightweight fabric it's not like not like you can walk through thorns but i would say if you had a if you had to have just one down jacket for five years and you were hunting a lot of brushy country that that canis one's just over the course of that time going to hold up a lot better the only thing for me is i got a large and all their stuff is very athletically cut and I don't I'm not getting the full benefit of the down because it's it's a little tight on me and kind of everything's compressing up against the body anytime you want you want down to be nice and loose right and just kind of floating around you creating air pockets so I think the jacket would be a lot warmer if I just got an extra large uh, that's so I they they just came out with the brown color that he, I got the probably same email he did a few weeks ago and I was like oh man maybe I'll reach out and get a extra large in the brown color and try that out cuz i really did like the jacket i took it on um i took it on a i got it right when we went on our bear hunt last year i took it up to alaska used it on some other
0: idaho hunts it's so um, really really good quality one thing to note um for guys who haven't necessarily thought about this and they're wondering why the down pieces tend to use lighter fabrics and maybe not be as durable is on one hand down pieces in general, whether it's, you know, jacket, coat, sleeping bag, etc. It's a gear category where people do geek out on specs and really look to save weight. And so it is a place where a lot of people are like, give me the most warmth for the weight. And weight savings obviously come with thinner face fabrics that have less durability. So I think just inherently, that's one reason you see a lot of lighter fabrics used but the other thing, and I think it's just important to realize this if guys haven't thought about it, is it's often um okay or acceptable, and you're able to get away with a lighter face fabric on something like a down coat because, and this isn't unique to hunting, but just say the general use of them is they're they're meant to be more of a, a stationary insulation piece, like you're sitting, you're often not moving too far or too much, um, in a down jacket that certainly can be different in hunting than general use. Like there are situations where hunters do need to move in them, but even in cold temperatures, it's not a piece you spend a ton of time in if you're moving a lot, um, in particular. So is durability good? I think so. Um, is the canis piece great i've used it a little bit i think it's great but i do think compared to some other pieces just for you personally make a buying decision think through how much in the past or how much do i expect in the future if i have a really really warm heavily insulated down piece i'm actually going to be moving in it and busting brush or going through thicker country um and at least for me that just hasn't been the case there's been times I've moved in it, but it's not busting brush. Um, but I just don't tend to move in them a lot. I mean, even in very yeah. cold temperatures, something like a mid-layer over my base layer is sufficient. Or there's times where it's cold or maybe it's like windy, and I would tend to grab like my rain shell more as a windbreak, for example, than I would my down coat to add warmth, if that makes sense. So I just, for me personally... Can typically not be too concerned with a lighter face fabric on a down piece just because of my use case yeah i was trying to think of you know certainly a
1: down jacket with like duct tape patches all over it is like a common image you see like if you <laughs> For sure. about it in your head but me personally i don't even my the stellar puffy that i have that i love that because that thing's super light I've, it's got a few patches on it, but they're from sparks from a fire. That's what I was going to say too. Yeah, that, that was the, that's what got, that was the death. Like uh, <laughs> the winner had the the worst fire ever. Um, yeah. I don't, I'd haven't, I have not i do not have a lot of tears. I mean, certainly it's, it's there, but I, I guess when I'm wearing it, maybe I'm, you know, I just realized like, look, I've got a down jacket on. I can't bust through this brush, you know, without expecting some holes in it. So um, I think there's just a natural tendency to, you know, be a little bit more cautious when you're wearing them. And like you said, you're not you're not um, really moving through country at a pace where you're going to be like ripping and tearing stuff when you're wearing a down jacket. Reminds me of uh, when we're like at the trade shows, we're putting hip belts on people and they're like, well, what about, you know, what about when I wear a jacket and stuff like that? And I'm like, look, the, I, I don't care about that. I care about, you know, when you're packing meat. Uh, you got a hundred pounds on your back. I want to be able to get that belt tight, but not be too big that you're maxing it out. And like, you're never packing meat with a down jacket on. I don't care if it's five degrees outside. You're, you're freaking packing meat. You're not, you're in your base and mid layer at the most.
0: All right. Let's, um Let's, let's wrap up with this one, Steve, another speak pipe question that came through.
2: One of my favorite aftermarket accessories is a bugle tube holder on my current pack. I plan to upgrade to a K4 and I was wondering if that Nalgene holder would also serve as a bugle tube holder. Not a Nalgene user, but I think it would be a great use for that accessory.
0: All right, Steve, dual purpose, the Nalgene holder for a bugle tube. What are your thoughts? Hold on to your seats. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I haven't even started working on it yet, but it's
1: it's such a natural place to carry a bugle tube that I imagine an accessory very similar to the Nalgene that a, a bugle tube just slides down into it. Right. Yeah. The problem with algae is, you know, I actually, I think somebody on rock did this. They, they did. Yeah. They bought two Nalgene's I think, or whatever, whatever they cut out the bottom of one and put their bugle tube in it. But I imagine making something that's got a tapered shape to it. So, you know, the tube just slides in there. Downside is it's going to stick. Like you would have to, if you wanted to sit down, you'd have to take it out. Right. Like it's, the, mm-hmm. it's going to sit below the bottom of the pack. But, um, I think it's certainly got some potential.
0: Yeah, there's uh there's already guys doing it. Some guys who have modified the Nalgene, other guys who are just taking the, you know, the larger objective end and putting that in the Nalgene holder. Again, you're leaving the the mouth tube end up at that point, which depend on the length and size of your Beagle tube could be prob- problematic. Um, but yeah, like you said, Steve, very natural place. And you know, I would say that in general for K4 is uh there's accessories we've released there's accessories we know we are releasing in the coming months and then there's accessories we have in mind but uh you know just with our limited availability both of design resource um and then also just productions like for us we have to use all of our resources right now production-wise to to really build the packs and meet that demand but it's definitely um some exciting things that could be coming in the future i got a list of 30 different things I want to tackle over probably the next year, right?
1: Some, we've already kind of listed some of the things that are coming this summer, the smaller day pack, the rifle carrier, the Nalgene or not the Nalgene, the uh, in mini holder. There's a bunch of stuff coming and then more will come later this year and more will come next spring. Uh, the Because of the Molly attachment they're using, it just opens up the door to be able to do stuff down the road that I it's just kind of a blank slate to work with versus like when i designed k3 it's like i really needed to think through everything that you know because the attachment kind of had to be built into it already with the molly again it's just a blank blank slate blank canvas to work with
0: cool well as always guys we thank you so much for sending the questions in you can do that By sending an email to podcast.xomotgear.com, or as everyone did today, you can leave us a message via SpeakPipe. So to do that, just look for the link in the show description that says, leave us a message. And you can use whatever device you're on. Um, It's really simple. SpeakPipe website comes up. You basically hit record, ask us your question, and you're done. So... Let us know what you want to hear, whether that's a gear question, a hunt question, or something else. And we'd love to tackle that on a future Monday Minute episode. And finally, if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow
2: button so that you receive future episodes automatically. Do that in your podcast app, and we'll talk to you soon.